Over the holiday break, we are bringing you The Sound Aquatic, a five-episode mini-podcast published by Hakai Magazine in May of 2021. Here's episode three, Plenty of Fish. It's a very low, like a hmm. These calls can last for hours, um, and the humming will go all night. That person you hear trying to be heard above the din of hums? That's Kieran Cox, a PhD student at the University of Victoria. Chances are you've had your own experience with uh, noisy late night neighbors. And so it wasn't until the 80s when people were complaining about all this humming that was showing up at their houseboats. And was it the Navy or was it, you know, general? No, it wasn't the Navy. Turns out that crazy loud humming was made by fish. Plain fin midshipmen, to be more exact. Talkative fish, singing fish, canary fish. Indigenous communities living along the Pacific coast use many different names to convey the remarkable vocal capacity of breeding male midshipmen. The fact that fish, who rarely get bigger than the length of a stick of butter, make such loud noises caught the collective imagination of podcast producers Amy Kingdon and Cat Pine and me. It's it's weird. It's not a human equable. And those muscles that they have around their swim bladder, that's that's so that they can expand, like surface and, and I, sink. I, I, it's and actually to make noise. It, so it's acoustic. Yeah. Is it on purpose? It's like vocal cords. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like but it's own... in their bodies. It's not yeah. anywhere near their throats. No. It's their... It's like if you could make your stomach rumble a little bit on command. <laughs> as a pickup line. As a pickup line. <laughs> right. well, but you know, I'm sure there's people that are into that. Happens, but not on purpose. <laughs> I know. It's one of those things that you hope doesn't happen when you're trying to pick people up. <laughs> wow. So sound is hugely important to fish. It's hugely important. You know, and if it and if at first your pickup line does not succeed, you have to remember there's plenty of fish in the sea. Oh. <laughs> When it comes to mating, fish, like birds, break into song. And male midshipmen aren't the only fish using sounds to attract females. In fact, each year, the Colorado River Delta comes alive with the deafening sound of millions of male Gulf Corvina fish. By rapidly beating their swim bladders with their sonic muscles, the males involved in this massive fish orgy create one of the loudest collective animal sounds ever recorded. It's literally as loud as standing next to the stage at a rock concert. My name is Ellen Kelsey, and you are listening to episode three of The Sound Aquatic, The Ocean and the Anthropause. You may want to reach out and hug someone close because this episode is all about how ocean animals, everyone from fin whales to arctic cod, use sounds to find that perfect mate.
Ah, the dawn chorus, a sure sign of spring and the start of an annual competition where male birds do their best to sing out their rivals and attract females. Turns out fish do the same thing underwater, but with added complexity. Robert McCauley, professor of marine science at Curtin University in Australia, says some male fish not only call for mates, they do it while they are actively dispersing sperm during spawning. Some choruses sing out in the day, others call into the night. The fish choruses we record can be really amazing. You see some really strange things. Uh, for example, we did a trip down the West Australian coast uh, middle of last year, 2020, and we were deploying sonar boys uh, along the way every four hours. Uh, we passed a part of the coast, the Abrolhos Islands, and we had two fish choruses, distinctly different. They were spatially separated. And then both of the choruses appeared to go around in big circles. I haven't analysed it properly, but it suggests either the fish school was moving, but it would have had to have been moving quite rapidly to get uh, the arcs we saw, or the, the sound was travelling through the fish chorus in a wave, like a Mexican wave in a, a stadium type thing, uh, and it just went around. So uh, we just continually see uh, phenomena like that, which has never been reported before, so it's really, really interesting. Lots of people appreciated the sound of birds singing in the quiet of COVID-19 lockdowns, and that got Kat, Amy, and me wondering if a similar thing was happening in the ocean. Was it easier for fish to find mates when the anthropods made coastal waters much quieter? So I wonder right now during this anthropause, where things are so much quieter because of COVID, less shipping, less everything, it, I wonder if it's like a real bumper year for fish breeding. I bet it probably is. Well, if you think about it, like you're in a crowded bar and you're trying to like, you know, sing your ballad to your lady friend over there in the corner, you know, your voice is going to carry a lot better if everyone's a little bit quieter. So she's going to hear you a lot better. Wow. Otherwise, you're trying to yell across the bar. You look hot. What's your number? <laughs> Turns out our playful banter was bang on called the cocktail party effect or the Lombard effect that humans experience um, in the days when we used yeah. to go to loud parties, um, that you find yourself talking louder in order to be heard. So fish do this, marine mammals do this, and they sometimes can speak at a different frequency so that their sound um, can be noticed uh, by, by their conspecifics. Francis Juanes, a professor of fisheries at the University of Victoria, is explaining how these humming midshipmen actually have to call louder and at a higher frequency to try to make themselves heard above noisy ships. So our most recent work is on a really wonderful species called the midshipman fish. This is a deep sea fish that comes up into the intertidal on all our beaches in BC and the male builds a nest under a rock and starts humming this very um, particular call that it has. And it uses this hum to attract females. Uh, and so we've done this experiment where we had artificial noise and showed that the male had to call louder and a different frequency. And we're following up with experiments to see what the long-term effects of noise are. Because the male sits in the nest for a couple of months at a time and doesn't feed for all that time. 
And so we think that noise is going to have a, a really important effect on the species. Yeah, and that's a sound that I bet a lot of people listening know, even though they might right. not realize it, that incredible humming sound. If you've been lucky enough to sleep on a boat, you know, along our coast in the breeding right. season. And it happens at a frequency that is quite low, but it's the same frequency that a lot of the ship noise occurs at. So there's a potential for, for masking to be particularly mm. important as well. To a midshipman, yelling louder than the crowd is an essential part of romance. Reminds me of the iconic scene from the classic movie Rocky, where our hero proves his strength in the boxing ring. He stands battered and bruised in the middle of the crowd, in the spotlight, and yet there's just one thing on his mind. What do you think about when the 15th round you're coming out? Rocky! Surprisingly, midshipmen are following a very similar plot line. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, biting, you know, stabbing with spines, uh, like essentially wrestling, like it's, it's a very brutal encounter. All this violence simply to hold onto the best nesting site from which to call a prospective mate. You're this midshipman, April is hit, you enter the intertidal, you need to find a location that is going to be suitable for you. This should be a place where there's going to be some sort of rocky outcrop where you can dig a burrow, essentially, and establish a good nest that you can defend. You then have to dig it, clean it all out, set yourself into this place, and then you have to defend it. So I am sitting in my nest and I am basically yelling, I'm a great guy, I'll look after your young, this is a great habitat. You should certainly come here. Don't listen to those other guys. This is where you want to be. To a female plain fin midshipman, what matters is how impressive the male sounds. You have 400 eggs and you have to try to ensure that the maximum number of your potential offspring make it. So how do you do it? Right? If you put them all in one nest, even if it's a great male and the acoustics were incredible, well, what if he gets eaten by, you know, an eagle the next day? But if you could span that out and you gave, let's say, the top 10 males all some eggs, right? Or you gave them out at different times. You can set up this scenario in which location, acoustics, male quality, all of these things are interacting and females being choosy is, you know, to the better of the species. In other words, the females are using the sound the males make to place their bets in a high stakes game of baby fish survivor roulette. Sizing up another by the sound of their voice may sound slightly fishy, but it's something you actually have in common with midshipmen, perhaps without even realizing it. Jordan Rain, a researcher at the Vocal Communication Lab at the University of Sussex in England, studied how well we can estimate a person's strength just by listening to the sound of their, uh, well, uh, roar. Ooh. Ah. Historical accounts indicate that soldiers have roared in battle throughout history, all the way through from the Roman army to the Red Army. We can see it in various sports, whether it's the New Zealand rugby uh, team's hacker. wrestling and what you gonna do macho man when the whole world destroy you and also the u.s national park service even recommends roaring as a defense strategy against bears jordan had actors one at a time roar at him at the top of their lungs in a small room the actors were told to imagine themselves in a war scenario where they were charging at the enemy 
After collecting the sounds, he measured the actor's height and body strength by taking an amalgamated measure of their hand grip strength and bicep circumference. He then played the recordings to about 100 listeners and asked them to judge whether the actor in the recording was stronger or weaker than them, or taller or shorter than them. And under these conditions, we found that listeners are actually really good at judging strength and height from the voice. When it comes to strong, powerful voices, no animal can rival blue whales and fin whales, the world's biggest whales. We used to think blue whales and fin whales were solitary, but now scientists believe they use their loud, deep calls to hook up across distances too vast for us to see. Just imagine how difficult it is to study the dating scene of a whale who may be thousands of kilometers out at sea and whose voice is so deep you can barely hear it. Unless you find a very, very loud example, and then you have to have over-the-ear headphones turned up, and then it just it feels kind of like a... It was more like a feeling, a vibration, and I call it a purr, almost, because that's what it sounds like, a really deep purr. Erica Escajeda is a PhD student working with the Polar Science Center at the University of Washington. She's studying whether fin whales are moving into Arctic waters as a result of climate change. Of course, her first challenge is trying to find these elusive giant whales. One of the key ways she does that is by tracking what she suspects may be their love songs. Because we're so familiar with humpbacks, we think of these really intricate um, songs with different phrasings in there. But with fin whales, it's very simple. It's just pulse, 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 rest, pulse, pulse, pulse. And those have actually been determined to be songs. We sped up that recording of a fin whale singing so you could hear him. Instead of listening to the songs male fin whales sing, Erica uses a computer program that translates the sounds into pictures called spectrograms. It's kind of a lot like watching static TV. <laughs> we see a lot of static, which is the background noise, but occasionally you'll see a little, just a little um, blurper in the case of the fin whales, you know, little swoops and um, little squiggly lines, and then I'll stop and listen to that and I realize, oh, that that's a humpback whale moan, or that's a, um, a fin whale pulse, or a gray whale moan, or you know. So you you come to recognize the shapes that you see visually as the calls, and so luckily that even though I can't hear fin whale calls very well, I can see them very clearly. There's been recent research to show that blue whales in particular can change the frequency of their calls. In fact, we've been seeing uh, lower frequency calls in recent years. My thoughts immediately turned to ships. Big, noisy ships. Are blue whales lowering their mating calls to try to be heard over ocean noise pollution? And so when they were evolving, and they settled on this uh, low frequency behavior. There was nothing else in the ocean that was making sounds at that frequency band. It was an acoustic niche, if you, if you will, that was completely open to them. 
However, now with shipping, ship noise, a lot of ship noise is in that exact frequency band that they use to communicate. And so perhaps the whales are, are responding to that increase in lower frequency noise and then thus lowering the frequency of their calls. Erica shares a more hopeful theory, too. Another theory for why they're changing their frequency is that um, these whales are recovering from overharvest due to commercial whaling. So perhaps there's more competition now. There's more of them, and they have to distinguish themselves somehow and lower their frequency, the frequency of their calls and response. heart leaps at the thought of blue whale and fin whale populations beginning to recover, and the idea that as their numbers grow, some males might be choosing to sing at lower frequencies to stand out from competitors who are singing higher frequency songs. I think of them sending their love songs far and wide across the ocean. Under ideal propagation conditions in the ocean, blue and fin whales can be heard across like 1,300 kilometers in an ocean basin. So it could be as short as like um, maybe 56 kilometers, depending on where you are, to as long as like a thousand kilometers. And so depending if if those whale calls somehow enter what's known as the SOFAR channel, then those calls could potentially travel across entire ocean basins easily. The SOFAR channel? It turns out it isn't just romance carrying those voices. It's physics. The SOFAR channel is a layer of water about a kilometer below the surface of the ocean. Here, the temperature and pressure of the water converge to create the ideal conditions for sound waves to travel. Blue whales and fin whales use this deep water channel to propel their booming voices sometimes 1,300 kilometers across an ocean basin. According to researchers at Scripps Institution of Oceanography in La Jolla, California, blue whales actively dive deeper when they are singing. By changing the depth, they change the distance over which they are communicating. Whereas individual calls are probably used to communicate with animals nearby, their deep water songs can reach whales much farther away. As John Kalambokaitis of the Cascadia Research Collective puts it, Blue whale sounds are simply astonishing. You know, blue whales produce one of the loudest sounds of any animal, and it can travel for uh, tens and in the right circumstance, hundreds or thousands of miles. The main fundamental frequency is below our hearing. It was still the uh, upper harmonics, which sound really low to us, <laughs> was still loud enough to just knock my socks off. Listening for whales or hearing whales uh, uh, has always been uh, a really thrilling part of my work. So. It's easy to get lost in the details of sound waves and to forget how much super basic information we still don't know about ocean animals, even ones as big as two and a half school buses. One of the things I'm really interested in studying is kind of the onset of singing and when does it start in relation to the breeding season. Unfortunately, we don't really know much about fin whale breeding behavior. We don't know where they breed, when they breed. There's some hypotheses that they 
perhaps breed as they're migrating south or even in their in the feeding grounds and then start migrating. Um, but we don't know for sure. To our knowledge, we have no evidence to show that females make any sounds, which is really interesting to me. In the Arctic, where Erica is studying fin whales, Arctic cod, a single type of fish, make up a whopping 75% of all the energy that moves from tiny zooplankton to seals, belugas, and seabirds. Arctic cod are a huge deal to the entire Arctic Ocean ecosystem. They are super cool fish. In fact, they literally produce their own antifreeze proteins. They've been studied a lot, yet it was only in 2018 that scientists discovered Arctic cod make sounds as our producer Amy Kingdon discovered when she spoke with Matt Pine, a researcher with the University of Victoria. Well, ones that have been described are mostly grunts uh, and not grunts are quite sort of literary of what they sound like. It's like a grunt. <laughs> um, and a knock is just like a knock. Like if you knock on a door or something like that, like a very short, intermittent bang, bang, bang. Like um, a kind of noise or? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, like that kind of knocking sort of uh. sound, um, and a grunt is, yeah, just like a uh, <laughs> kind of grunt, like literally a grunt. Um, and I mean, they're not particularly loud. That's the, that's the thing that we're starting to learn is, is yeah, these, these fish are quite cryptic in, in their sound production. Matt isn't the only one listening for Arctic cod. Seals like the ring seal you just heard are listening too. And that presents a dilemma from a male Arctic cod's point of view. Do you sing out to attract a mate in the dead of winter in the dark Arctic ocean where sound is the only way a female can find you? Or do you stay quiet to avoid being gulped by a hungry seal? Seals are pretty good at eavesdropping on their prey. So as soon as a fish makes a sound, its location is now known. So it's not really in their advantage to make too many sounds. Um, in terms of being picked off by hungry ring seals. Uh, but when it comes time to breeding, the trade-off between passing your genes on versus being eaten um, is, is good enough for them to risk it. But what happens when ocean noise pollution forces Arctic cod to sing even louder or more frequently just to make themselves heard by potential mates? That's the frightening scenario Matt's work is really all about. Arctic sea ice is disappearing rapidly as a result of climate change. As the water opens up, it brings more ship traffic and the noise pollution that comes with it. Yeah, that's sort of our main sort of concern at the moment is what does 2050 have installed? I say 2050 because by 2050, the models are predicting that in the summertime, that Northwest Passage, the area of water between sort of that Eastern Canada, all the way up over the top past Alaska into the Chukchi into the Pacific, um, will be ice free in the summertime. Right. So now we'll be able to send ships and freight right over the top of the Americas, instead of either through Middle East um, or South or Central America through the Panama Canal, um, which is obviously hugely advantageous economic wise. But what that means is the soundscape is going to change quite drastically um, in the next coming, you know, just the next couple of decades. up in the north it's sort of that last untouched area um, you know where it's still very quiet it's probably some of the quietest waters in the world 
I think of what Matt is saying about Arctic cod, that if you're small, sound can give you away and get you eaten. It's amazing to me that all these sounds are necessary. Each croak is a risk. Each grunt is a gamble. And the stakes are your genes chance at getting passed on. Essentially, all species in some way or another, some shape or form, depend on sound at some stages during their life because it is that one cue that travels in all directions over hundreds of kilometers with minimal attenuation, unlike light and, and smell and vibrations, that now we're starting to be concerned about changes to a soundscape. From, from the zooplankton um, that use sound as orientation cues to the fish that use them to avoid predators, to find mates, to the marine mammals that use sound to eavesdrop on their prey and, and use vocalizations to maintain their group like you know when they navigate so every, everything is linked to that soundscape the ocean is filled not just with noises or sounds but with voices all of these creatures calling out to each other trying to attract one another and communicate something critical i think back to the soundscapes of reefs and suddenly it seems less like a din and more like a song maybe a collection of songs the ocean is a living collection of love songs. Tune into episode four to hear the tender whispers of whale baby talk. Join us as we unravel how the sounds ocean animals make both shape and reveal the remarkable cultures that exist beneath the waves. We'd like to thank Kieran Cox at the University of Victoria, Robert McCauley at Curtin University, Francis Juanes of the University of Victoria, Jordan Rain at the University of Sussex, Erica Escajida at the University of Washington, John Kellenbukaitis from the Cascadia Research Collective, Matt Pine with the University of Victoria, and Shima Abadi at the University of Washington. Thank you to CBC Radio's Quirks and Quirks for the use of their recording. This episode of The Sound Aquatic, The Ocean and the Anthropause was produced by Amy Kingdon, Katrina Pine, and me, Ellen Kelsey. Our theme music is by Tobin Stokes. The team also includes Adrian Mason, Jude Isabella, and fact checker Megan Osmond-Jones. We are an endeavor of Hakai Magazine and are produced on the shores of the Salish Sea in Victoria, British Columbia.